Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you having heard your word. I pray that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds, that you would speak to us, that you would speak words of love and not of judgment, that we would hear and believe. Bless me, I pray that the words of your servant would be glorifying to you. Give us understanding and life. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's really good to be here. We've been through a lot as a family in the last, oh, several months. Uh, And uh, I'll be talking about that a little bit. But when I was thinking about what to preach on, um, Habakkuk has been on my mind. uh, And uh, I'm learning it's hard to find Habakkuk when you're talking. Um, So there we go, Nahum Habakkuk. Uh, December 18 uh, was the day Star Wars came out. Uh, It was also the day that my wife and I uh, had an anatomy scan, which is a uh, high-tech, high-resolution scan of our little baby. We didn't know at that time if if Eliza was a boy or a girl. Um, Up till that day, we we were really joyful. Uh, The Lord had heard our prayer for a child after a few years of of trying. And on December 18, it took about... 15 seconds for everything to shatter, not because we learned we were losing uh, Eliza, um, but we found out something was wrong, uh, and uh, we found out the bones weren't quite right. What did that mean? We still don't really know, and we have a bone doctor here who will tell you he doesn't fully understand everything that's going on, and but back then, we knew something was wrong, and we heard things like, she may never walk, uh, she may not be able to stand, she may not be able to be uh, compatible with life. Uh, and so, for the next months, uh, we grieved and prayed and prayed for a miracle. We've seen God do amazing things. This, if you haven't heard the story of my wife and I meeting. We come from different sides of the planet, and God brought us together in perfect timing. Uh, We are assured of his love. We are assured that his plan is a good one. Uh, But then Eliza was born, and it was that day we found out, one, we were having a girl, and two, that God did not answer our prayer for complete healing. Uh, We didn't understand the fullness of what was going on, nor did we know that much would be correctable. Uh, We knew that some things might be. Uh, But our daughter, and we found out that day that we had a daughter, uh, was born with uh, bone fusion all over her body, including her skull. And so that means that, uh, one, she would need a lot of surgeries. Two, uh, some of her joints don't work. And Some do. So the answer we received was not, I'm going to heal your baby completely. We still pray for that. The answer we received was, I think, the one Paul received when he prayed that 
the thorn in his flesh would be removed. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he, he received his answer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That was not an easy answer, and uh, it's still not an easy answer. Uh, God, you can do all things. Why does it have to be that way? Well, why preach on Habakkuk? Uh, Habakkuk, I think, got the same kind of answer. Uh, We prayed for our daughter to be healed. The Lord gave her to us, and he knew what he was doing. Uh, Knowing a little bit more about what happened with our daughter, she has one amino acid in her DNA chain out of three billion that's off. Was God in control of that? I believe very firmly that, that he was. Could he have done differently? Absolutely. Why not? I can't say I know. I can say that I trust that God has a reason. And that's why I think Habakkuk is such a powerful uh, uh, set of chapters. Habakkuk looks around at the world, and particularly at his own nation, and says, God, why aren't you doing something? Uh, We don't know exactly when he lived. We know it was during the decline of Israel or uh, of the tribe of Judah, really, Uh, possibly during the reign of Manasseh, the wicked son of Habakkuk, who is actually carried off himself into Babylon for a while and then actually comes back reformed and, uh, and briefly becomes a good king after being the worst king who did things like leading worship of Molech and sacrificing babies on uh, hollowed-out uh, idols filled with coals, or maybe uh, Jehoiachin, uh, who comes later. But we know Habakkuk was a prophet. We know that he lived before the exile in a time of wickedness and disorder. To put it in a modern context, it would be a little bit like You or I looking at, uh, we'll leave it as a hypothetical situation where politics were uh, corrupt and scary, um, and asking God, why don't you make everything right? And then receiving the answer, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to send ISIS over, and they're going to take over completely and thrash you as a a country. That's about what Habakkuk hears. I'm going to send the Chaldeans, that wicked and terrible nation, and they're going to conquer you. And you can imagine Habakkuk saying to himself, why did I open my mouth? Why did I ask the question? I should have just been quiet. Uh, So Habakkuk receives that answer, and then he says, all right, God, I'm listening. I'm going to stand here and see what you're going to do here because I don't get it. And then God says, effectively, well, I'm going to punish the Chaldeans and I'm going to make things right. 
And then Habakkuk gives his wonderful hymn of praise where he praises God for his control and his goodness, and we'll look at that a little bit more. So why preach on this? Because uh, I think we see a few things. And I'm not sure if my sermon has two, uh, two points or three, but what comes to mind, and if you're a note taker, the first point is going to be that God, or sorry, that Habakkuk trusted in God's person, that is, in his character. And then second and third, uh, Habakkuk trusts in God's purpose and in his love. And in those, we see a man who hears devastating news, uh, who actually says his body trembles, rottenness enters into my bones. And he ends with, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the the deers, he makes me tread on the high places. How do you go from rotten bones to feet like those of a deer? Well, my first point is Habakkuk trusted God's person. Habakkuk is not wrong to complain. What he sees is horrible. What he sees in Israel is not God's ultimate plan for his people, nor is it the end of the story. And it's not wrong that Habakkuk goes to God. And I would say for you and I, it's not wrong when we cry out to God, God, why don't you do something different? Why don't you make it better? But Habakkuk doesn't complain to God out of a sense of bitterness and hatred. He's not shaking his finger in God's face saying, how dare you? He's looking to God as someone who he knows can make things better, who he knows has all things in control, who he knows loves him and loves the world. Now, this is not our nature. Our nature is to look at God and either accuse him out of bitter anger and say with Adam, it's your fault. Or uh, to run from God, to flee from God. Habakkuk is able to acknowledge that things are wrong, but he's humble enough to know that he doesn't have the whole story. That's something I think uh, we struggle with. Uh, you and I, as modern Americans, we like to know things. Uh, and it's easier and easier. If you want to know something, you can Google it. Uh, though you can't really Google why, God, are you doing this because we won't find out the answer. Uh, but we want to know. Habakkuk wants to know, God, why are you doing this? Uh, Job wanted to know why he was suffering. And be glad I didn't preach on Job. We would still be listening. Uh, which, by the way, Acts chapter 7 is longer than all of Habakkuk. So, uh, One of the most difficult things for us is to trust when we don't have the whole picture. Job didn't have the whole picture. Uh, it's not certain that he ever heard from the mouth of God, 
I had this wager with Satan and you passed. We don't know that. Uh, we can read it. it. Makes sense to us. Why is Job suffering? Uh, he's showing the glory of God. Uh, he's rewarded at the end. Did Job learn that? He learns God shows up in, a, in power, in thunder, and Job sits down and says, I'm going to shut up now. I didn't know what I was talking about. Wow, you are God. Habakkuk, I think, probably read Job. Uh, and so he knows. I don't have the whole picture here, God. Help me understand. Now, we want to know, we want to understand, we want to be in control. And that, by the way, again, in the Garden of Eden, Eve wanted that. She wanted understanding. Uh, she wanted to take things into her own hands. But what do the scriptures say? Second Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Habakkuk looks to God because he knows who God is. In Habakkuk 1, verse 13, Habakkuk makes his plea based on God's character. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? God, you are good. Why are you letting this happen? Now, when Habakkuk finds comfort, he finds his comfort in God's character as well. And when we look at his hymn at the end, what we see is a lot of creation language and redemption language. Uh, you might have picked up on uh, flashes of, or, sorry, you have the, the uh, verse 4 of chapter 3, his brightness was like the light. Uh, and then you have shaking the earth and measuring it and language of creation. And then you have the language of the Exodus, uh, splitting the earth with rivers, the mountains, the sun and moon standing still, happening with Moses. And then Joshua, there's all this imagery from the book of Genesis and all of it pointing to God as creator and redeemer. And then we get an ultimate statement of comfort. And some of it you can tell in Habakkuk when God is talking and when Habakkuk is talking. And it's hard to tell if this is Habakkuk or God at this point. But in chapter 2, verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The more I go through, the more I think that that statement, the Lord is in his holy temple, is so profound. Because in all of that, in all of what we've been through, in all of what we will go through, there is a constant in the universe that God is king and that someone is driving. This is not the world run amok with no purpose, no destination, no redemption. This is, yeah, things are a mess. The ride is bumpy, but we know where we're going. God is in his holy temple. 
And so later Paul will be able to say in Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's a wonderful verse. Many of us know it. Many of us probably have memorized it. Some of you had to memorize it in my class. Do we really believe all things? It's a hard thing to swallow. All things work for the good of those who love God. It's easy to believe most things. It's very easy to believe, well, some things work. Habakkuk believed all things. Is my daughter's difficulty going to work toward the good of those who love God and to her her good and our good? I believe so. Now, it's appealing to look for an answer to all of these troubles in something other than God's kingship, his sovereignty, and his character. It's easier for many to believe that God has not ordained everything, that stuff just happens, Uh, that God is removed from evil so far that he has nothing whatsoever to do with it, and it's out of his control. That actually gets you into a worse place because then it means that no one is driving uh, and the existentialists are right. Uh, It is all meaningless. More importantly, it's not what the Bible presents. The Bible doesn't present that God is helpless or that God is not with us in the valley of the shadow of death. Instead, God is with us, and his rod and his staff comfort us. Now, when he receives his answer, Habakkuk doesn't try to resist God's plan. He doesn't try to manipulate God's words or try to to wrestle God into making sense according to Habakkuk. He submits in humility because he knows God is king. He also trusts in God's purpose. To say that Habakkuk didn't understand God's purpose is an understatement. Uh, What are you doing is perhaps a good contemporary translation. Are you not from everlasting? This is 1 verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. Uh, What are you doing, God? Habakkuk is able to understand, okay? This is really, really bad news. I thought things were bad now. You're telling me terrorists are going to come take over our nation We're not going to die because you're God. I know what it's going to work out. I have no idea how you're going to do it, but I'm going to take my stand on the watch post. I love that verse. That's uh, 2 verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. 
and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk is humble. He's also wise enough to understand that God has an answer. Uh, Sometimes we think God doesn't have one or that God's plan kind of leaves us out of it. Jeremiah, another prophet who also had some really rough news. In another famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Jeremiah is also talking about the same Babylonian conquest and exile that Habakkuk is. And he receives the word from the Lord, I know what I'm doing. I've got this. It's going to be good for you. Trust me. Now, one of the difficulties we have is in understanding this is we tend to think that our understanding and our desires are perfectly reasonable. I teach high school and junior high. I've taught sixth grade, and uh, one of the things that you see, if you ask a sixth grader or a junior high kid or a high schooler, are your desires reasonable? They will say, absolutely, yes. And I would submit that if you ask an adult, we tend to say, absolutely, yes, but mine are more uh, more reasonable than those of a sixth grader. Uh, in the same way that a tenth grader will say, well, mine are more reasonable than a sixth grader, and so on. Uh, and I think as we get older and refined, sometimes we're wise enough to say, yeah, uh, I don't trust that my own desires, my own requests are reasonable. But when I explain things to, like this to uh, to students. One of the things you can do is say, any of you have younger siblings? Okay, one of you has a a third grader. What do they want most in the world? If you think back to when you were in third grade, and some of you might be, uh, but what do you want? Uh, It's almost always some sort of toy or confection. Uh, And if you had that, Life will be grand. If I have the G.I. Joe battle tank, or whatever it is these days, my life will be perfect, and I won't need anything ever again. Uh, Get a little older, and when I was teaching sixth grade, it was a smartphone of any kind. It doesn't even have to be an iPhone. But if if I have a phone, my life will be complete. Is your desire reasonable? Absolutely. I've thought this over. Uh... As we get older, sometimes it gets a little more subtle. What do I want? I don't want much. I just want a life free of suffering. And uh, I'm not asking to be rich, but I don't want to have any difficulties. I just want comfort, and I want enough. Uh, Sounds great on paper. Uh, What you're asking for is heaven on earth, and uh, we won't get it. Uh, why not? Uh, you'll shoot your eye out. Uh, uh, 
C.S. Lewis actually says something to that effect when he says, God is never going to give you the quiet life that you want because if you had it, you would lose reliance on him and you would mistake that for your home. In other words, our own reasonable desires for a comfortable life will actually harm us. Sometimes we see and understand later in life why God didn't, uh, didn't answer our request. For some of you, like me, you can think back to your early relationships when you said, God, why is this relationship not working out? I love this person so much. And now you can look back and say, yeah, that was, that was a terrible, terrible match. Um, in my case, I can look back and say that was based on my own selfishness and uh, own, my own misunderstanding of, of what a relationship should be like and uh, what's good for me. Other times we don't get it. Other times there are uh, there are things that are rough that we don't, we don't see an answer. And that too is hard. When we look at Habakkuk, he doesn't understand what God is doing, but again, he understands who God is and he understands that God has a purpose. And for contemporary Americans, we need to remind ourselves that God's purpose for us is not momentary happiness. As I talked with the children, most, most children, what do they want? They want to be happy right now. As adults, again, really, what do we want? We want to be happy right now. We're more sophisticated, but, uh, and maybe more complex, maybe more sanctified, but in the end, of it, what many want, what most of us want, is to be happy in the moment. And it's not wrong to say God wants us to be happy. You can go too far and say, he doesn't. Well, he does, just like parents want their children to be happy. But it is not the highest goal. Our holiness and our eternal reward are far more important than us being comfortable and happy in the moment. In Second Corinthians 4, uh, Paul speaks about this. I'm going to read a, a good paragraph, and I know we've had a lot of scripture today, but this is a wonderful passage where Paul is talking to a church that's suffering. I want you to listen, um, especially at the end, uh, when you get to the, the slight momentary affliction. By the way, slight momentary affliction uh, is relative. This church was going through a lot, and Paul was able to say this honestly, and mean it. This is from 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 18. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live 
are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Brothers and sisters, everything we go through, no matter how bad, is being turned to our good. I explained it to my students by saying that God knows judo. If you know judo, you take your opponent and you take their energy and you transfer it and their punch is the very thing that ends up dropping them to the ground. God does that with our afflictions, with the attacks of Satan, and he turns them to our good. And Paul is able to say that our slight momentary affliction is preparing an eternal weight of glory. God has a plan, and he's working it out. And we don't always understand it, but he is doing it. The final thing I want to talk about is that Habakkuk trusted in God's love. We don't get a lot of this in the passage, but we get that, that wonderful statement at the end. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk is not thrilled with the answer he gets. By no means, he says, you know, his body trembles. You have this wonderful statement, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the olive, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields produce no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and though there be no herd in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. How can he do that? Because he knows that God's purpose is being worked out, and he knows that God loves him. And if you've ever watched a deer, they run fast, and they don't stumble. And it's possible that he's talking about an ibex here, and, uh, oh, toward the end of the year, uh, Steve Sprague showed the, the faculty part of the, the planet Earth, and... I was thinking of this verse. Uh, Steve was thinking of another one, but I was thinking of this one. You watch these little ibex, and somehow they're standing on a cliff that looks like that, and they're just hopping around, hanging out, and things are trying 
to get to them down below, uh, no chance. And you think, they have hooves. How in the world do they get their little hooves to stick in one place and then jump and land on something this big and then jump to another thing? And they're fine. And that's what Habakkuk thinks of. God, you make me like that. Even though the world around me is black, even though I may have nothing, I'm going to rejoice. Because God makes me like that. He makes me like a deer. Now, sometimes, especially as Calvinists, as Presbyterians, it's easier to trust that God has a plan than it is to trust that God loves us and is going to actually show us that love. It's easier for some of us to understand, okay, God is working all things to my good, and so he wants me to be miserable all the time because that will result in maximum glory for God and maximum sanctification for me. Does God love me? I guess so. Does God love you? Absolutely. Wholeheartedly. So that he worked everything to your good. So that he sent Jesus, his beloved son, to go through worse for you. And that's absolutely amazing. And Habakkuk didn't have the full sense of God come down to earth, sacrificed on the cross. But he did understand, God loves me. And so, it's going to be okay. Uh, The nation of Israel will, for a while, not be okay at all. But Habakkuk understands joy and sorrow, and he understands the love of God. And you can be assured that God has that love for you, that God is working all things for his glory and for your good. We may not understand it, but it is true. Now, one of the last things I want to talk about, uh, just wrapping this up, is Habakkuk 2, verse 6. You get this little statement, uh, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but Habakkuk 2, verse, not 2, verse 6, different verse. Uh, my notes are wrong. Um, anyway, uh, he says the righteous will live by his faith. Verse four. Uh, there we go. The righteous shall live by his faith. Other translations, the righteous will live by faith. If you're someone who does not know God, uh, or if you're someone who does, We participate in this not based on something we do or something we earn. We participate based on believing. And Habakkuk 2 verse 6 is quoted twice in the New Testament and referenced strongly once. Uh, Paul in Galatians 3.11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And again in Romans 1.6, Uh, 16 and 17, he talks about the the power of of God revealed in the gospel, for it is the righteousness of 
God that is revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What do we need to do? We don't have to have perfect faith. We don't have to believe uh, so unshakingly that we never doubt God. Uh, There are going to be times when we doubt God's goodness. There are going to be times when we doubt God's purpose. There are certainly going to be times when we doubt his character. What do we have to do? We have to trust anyway. And it doesn't have to be a perfect faith. God will make up for our lack of faith, but we have to trust him. Uh, And an analogy I use about the nature of faith, um, sometimes a, a chair is used. I like a bridge. You've got to know the bridge will hold you. You have to believe it. But you can, you can believe those things. You can believe this bridge will hold me. Are you going to cross it? Not on your life. It looks scary. Uh, we have to put our trust into it and walk. And then the bridge will hold you. Will you sometimes look down and say, I'm afraid I'm going to die? Yeah. Does that mean the bridge is going to fall apart because your faith is faltered? No. Will Jesus let go of you because you have a moment of, of shakiness? No. God will hold you, and he will work all things to your good. Uh, returning to our story, how are the Edmonds doing? Uh, it's hard. We have hard days. Uh, we have days when we ask questions. Sometimes our prayer is, God, why did you do this? But we know God is good, and we know Our daughter Eliza is going to be blessed by him and that she will bless others and that God will work things to her good and and to his. He will do the same for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do not know all things. 